Nehemiah chapter 7. Would you stand one more time, read four verses of Scripture this morning and try to uh, give you what the Lord's given to me. Nehemiah chapter 7. I'll go ahead and read you, follow along. The Bible says in the beginning in verse 1, Now it came to pass, when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters, and the sangers, and the Levites were appointed that I gave my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun be hot, and while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them, and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one in his watch, and every one to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not built. Now the few people that he's talking about in verse 4, you will find in verses 5 through 73, which we will not read in uh, for the basis of time this morning. Brother Charlie, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> in Nehemiah chapter 7 here, verse 1 and 2, about three weeks ago, we preached about the prerequisite for power. The prerequisite for power. So we're trying to pick up and merge back into this, but we saw that Nehemiah coming right out of the gate in verse 1. Nehemiah, of course, was sent to build the wall. The Lord laid it on Nehemiah's heart to build the wall. And when you finally get to chapter 7, verse 1, he has accomplished building the wall. But what's unique to me and what's encouraging to me is the fact that he didn't stop with the wall. He sets up the gates, he sets up, he builds the doors. And uh, he does more than just the walls. And it's a practical reminder to you and me this morning that a single victory in the Christian life is not enough. A single victory should never be just enough. You get good at something, and not to undermine reading the Bible all the way through, but reading the Bible one, one time through is a fantastic victory. It's a monumental achievement that most Christians will never accomplish but yet they'll say they love the Lord Jesus Christ. But now that you have attained that, now is the time to go ahead and shift gears and get right back after it. A friend of mine that lives in Lupton, he said that he wrote, he wrote in his Bible, at the end of the Bible, he said he wrote, never quit. It just remind him to start back over and to go after it again. Amen? And I don't know how many times he's read it. I know he's read it at least 30 times. It could be 40. It could be more. But the fact is, Nehemiah didn't stop with the wall. And in the Christian life, you and I can't stop with some things that the Lord has us do. we got to keep going. The old hymn writer said, My prayer, my aim is higher ground. There's always higher ground for us to achieve in the Christian life. Might we be so careful, not full of care, but careful not to get so satisfied with where we're at that we never look to take that next step for the Lord Jesus Christ, the next step on our own Christian life, the next step that might require just a little bit of discipline or might even cost us something that might be a little bit uncomfortable. My prayer, my aim, like Nehemiah should be, Let's now let's get the gates set up. Now let's get the doors built up. Why? The people need some protection. And if you look at this, we see here in, in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, we see the prerequisite for power. The prerequisite for power. And after order is established, and after safety is established, forgive me, you get the gates, the doors, the wall set up, you get a little bit of safety, amen? Whew. Didn't you get a little bit of safety when you got your King James Bible? 
when the Lord, maybe the Lord hasn't revealed it to you yet. Can I just say, keep after it? Maybe it's a non-issue with you. I'm not here to beat you up for it. But remember when the day the Lord revealed that the King James Bible was in fact the Word of God? <laughs> wasn't that a blessing? That was a blessing, wasn't it? There's safety in that. Now after safety is established, what happens next in verse 2, 1 and 2, you see that order is established. You see the order of preaching and the porters and you've also got the singers and the Levites and we notice that the interesting part about the order was the porters was first and the porters are somebody who is there at the door to receive a message. Now that's pretty ironic because Jesus Christ is the door. So in typology, I'm a porter waiting to receive that message from God, not supernaturally, but either through my Bible reading, through prayer, through preaching. So the porters are first, then you've got the singers. I believe what you have is, uh, you could disagree with me, that's okay. I believe you have advanced revelation in the King James Bible that the Lord is showing you through Nehemiah that the preaching is most important and then the singing is second and then the Levites were third and say, what in the world are the Levites? Those are the people that were designed to serve the Lord. Service is never first, service is always last. Why? Because the preaching and the singing have to prepare your heart for the service. Amen. Consider with me this morning as we look at the prerequisite for power, order is established, safety is established, and then Nehemiah, he's a governor, he's a type of a king per se, he empowers two men, Hanani and Hananiah. <laughs> How'd you like to, hey, 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 nah, okay, whatever, H and H2, amen, or H2O or whatever. But he gives these two guys charge over Jerusalem. And we saw that the prerequisite for that charge, the prerequisite for power was two things. The first of all in verse 2 is faithfulness. So three weeks ago we preached the entire Sunday morning on faithfulness and everyone went out of here feeling like they were probably unfaithful. It wasn't me, it was probably the Holy Spirit. And then we came back that evening, I believe it was three or four weeks ago, and we preached about the second prerequisite to power, which was what? The fear of God. So based just upon the text in verse 2, can the Lord give me charge of anything? Can the Lord give you charge of anything at all? Can He empower you if the prerequisite for power is, number one, faithfulness, and number two, the fact that I fear God? Then we had to come to the conclusion that Maybe, simply, possibly, I don't understand what the fear of the Lord is. So we ran about eight passages of Scripture describing what the fear of the Lord is. That's not elementary. That's just healthy. It's dangerous, again, to assume that the body of Christ is up to speed on every facet of the Scriptures. Why? We're not. Doing all right, Lord? (laughs) The fact is, is we just wanted to ask that practical question before we get on our message today. Can the Lord empower me with anything because of my faithfulness to Him, not the local church? Am I faithful to Jesus Christ? Am I faithful to Jesus Christ and His Word? And then do I fear the Lord God Himself? Now this fear is not something you walk around thinking, I'm in church, I'm going to get hit by lightning. Maybe some of you should get hit by lightning. I have no idea, but I don't want you to get hit by lightning. You've heard people say that all the time, but do you fear God like you should? Because we saw in the Bible itself that a proper fear of the Lord helps us to live clean. It helps us to live right. It helps us to live proper. And most of all, it helps us to obey. Obey what? The Lord. Not some pope, 
Not some preacher, but it helps you obey the Lord. That is the prerequisite for power. As we approach verse 3 and 4 of Nehemiah chapter 7, I do believe the Lord has something for us today. He's empowered two individuals to take care of some business while he's away. But then you notice one day he's going to return. I read that and I read it again. I said, you know what? The Lord has left us here and empowered us with some business, hasn't he? And one day he will return. (laughs) And it would do us well to remember that. The best thing I could do is get up here and prophesy, which simply means preach about things that are going to happen. I'm not talking about speaking in an unknown tongue. I'm talking about the fact that one day Jesus Christ will rapture this church out of here faster than you can blink an eye. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. And wouldn't it be a blast if it happened in church? Because you're just going to be surprised at everyone who's up there because you think that just because they don't go to church, they ain't going to heaven. <laughs> Amen. But in our text this morning, Nehemiah gives the two men instruction to follow. We see that in verse 3 and 4. The reason he gives these instructions, once again, is for their what? Their safety, their protection. And so I see a great parallel in our passage Uh, when we practically apply this. In our Christian lives, you know what we need? We need spiritual protection. Now, from a doctrinal standpoint, the moment you trust Jesus Christ, you are eternally secure. You are safe in Jesus Christ. You cannot lose your salvation. But in the life that we live, not only are we, if you look at verse 4, you notice the houses are not built. You see that in the text. Have we not been trying to ascertain or gather from the scriptures on Sunday nights the best we can that our life is like a building of God trying to be built in the right manner? You notice they're in the same predicament. They're still building their house. You know what I as a Christian am doing? I'm building my house for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my physical house, but my spiritual house. This is my house. And I'm spiritually building my house for Jesus Christ. But Nehemiah, he gives these two men instruction, not only for their protection, but the protection of their families. Men, you realize this morning, I'm sure you do, but it behooves us to be reminded that how you live, how you live your Christian life, benefits your family. Or it also, it's not just positive, it's also negative. How you don't live your Christian life, it impacts and negatively affects your Christian life and family. Why? Because if you remember back in 1 Corinthians, Paul sets up the order. And as much as ERA hates it and all that stuff, and I'm not here to argue about this, that, and the other in chauvinism, but the man is the head over the woman. Amen. And Jesus Christ is the head over man, and God is the head over Christ. So, man, how you live determines how your family operates. Think about this. We're the men. We're the men. We're We're the tough guys. Rough, tough, hard to bluff. And you want to blame all your problems on a little 120, 130, 140-pound little wet hen every once in a while. And you're the man. You see what I mean? Okay, that went over real well. I'm trying to learn how to preach, but y'all ain't helping me this morning. But I see a great parallel in our passage today. In our Christian lives, we need spiritual protection. Spiritual protection. And the king, you know what he's done? He's left us the instruction. Nehemiah's given his instruction to Hanani and Hananiah, and the king has left us instruction right here. 
But I see even greater than that in the parallel when you apply this text practically. And that's what I'm trying to do is get things from the text, right out of the text that speak to our hearts. And what I see here this morning is that we can have confidence in our spiritual protection from the many enemies at war against our soul. And concerning this spiritual protection, if you look at verse 3, verse 3 You and I are going to have to learn some things in the Christian life. Not only do we have to be careful how we take heed, how we believe, how we build our Christian life, but look here in verse 3. You know what you're going to have to learn? You're going to have to learn that some gates just need to be closed when the sun goes down. That's a practical application of the text. You say, well, preacher, that's a stretch. I'll stretch it. (laughs) It's there. You're going to have to learn, Christian, that some of those gates have to be closed when the sun goes down. The Bible says there in verse 3, And I said unto them, Let not the gates be open till the sun be hot. And as a Christian, you need to protect yourself from spiritual darkness. You know why? Because you have a proclivity to darkness. Why? The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 8, You were sometimes darkness. Before you got saved, you were in darkness. And you know what? Some of you, you were, not saved, you were, you were unsaved not too long ago. So that life of darkness or being in darkness is still very clearly in view. Even if you've grown up in a Christian home, you're only that far from the darkness. You have to protect yourself from spiritual darkness. And Nehemiah says to Hanani and Hananiah, you got to shut them gates and don't you dare open the gates of Jerusalem until the sun be hot. Why? Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 2 with me just for a minute. Why in the world is there so much concern about shutting them stinking gates? Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 2. Verse 1 you have uh, Sanballat, you have uh, Tobiah, uh, and, and the, the, you know, the... the, the um, yeah, I'm going to say something uh, not right here. But it's the Arabs and the Palestinians and the Hamites there. And in verse 2, you've got what? You've got an army. But guess what? That ain't your army. You believe the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Thank you, Awana Clubs. Right? You believe that? Well, then if you believe there's a devil and he's real, guess what? The devil has his own army. That's Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 2. The army of where? Samaria. And those are the armies of Arabs that are against the Jewish people. Physically. Practically applied. The devil's against you and the devil has his armies. By the way, the devil also has his generals. The devil also has his lieutenants. And the devil also has his little imps and peons. And you run across them at Walmart a lot of times, amen? Amen. (laughs) Or wherever you're at. But just like you're a soldier for Jesus Christ, the devil also has soldiers for his own army. you got to keep them gates shut, especially when the sun goes down. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, just practical things for your spiritual protection this morning. The Bible says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, if you're a children of light, which you are when you got saved, why in the world would you have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness? I preach your I like it. Stop it. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Well, how are we going to win people to Jesus? You don't win them by fellowshipping with darkness. You don't go win them down to to, uh, the tipsy bear bistro by going in, sitting on your hind end, and throwing one back. You want to win them, get on the corner and pass out tracts or preach to them and pray for them. 
You don't have fellowship with the fruit, unfruitful works of darkness. That's Bible. Now that, Ephesians 6, 12, you know what our problem, our problems are not flesh and blood, even though we think they are. Matter of fact, some of you have issues with each other in this church house, and your problem isn't flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Later on in the verse, it says, but against the rulers of darkness. Amen. You know when the battle begins? When the lights go out. You know what you need to guard yourself from? Spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness. I'm just saying practically make the gates whatever you want to call it, but you need to make sure some gates in your Christian life are shut when the sun goes down. Shut it. Don't let the darkness in. See, you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You couldn't get unsaved. You're children of light, but there's ways that you let the darkness in. You've got to shut the gates. Shut the gates. The gates, if you will, they can represent the big things. If you leave the gate open, the cows get out. The big ones. You got to shut the gate. The big things, the major things. But you know what I notice as a Christian? I'm sure you notice it too. Most Christians seem, for the most part, to keep the gates shut, don't they? Christians, I mean, I'm giving you credit here. We're average Christians. Most Christians don't let the big things in. Fair statement. But you know what it is? Little things, ain't it? I mean, you wouldn't let the LGBTQ in your house, would you? Absolutely not, preacher. I got me a Smith and a Wesson and all that. Ain't coming in here. No, but you stream them in. Well, I'm against abortion, Okay. I'm against adultery, I'm against fornication. I would never cheat on my wife. You let your TV do it. Little thing, about that thin, that wide. Let it in, small. Christians, we're good at keeping the gates shut. We really are, but we see that some... Yeah, I'll say this. I don't know too many Baptist brethren that are meth lab dealers. I haven't met any. You say, what's that? That's the big things. I don't know too many drug cartels that are Baptist preachers. Big stuff, right? (laughs) You say, how ridiculous. That's the big stuff. That's the gates. You wouldn't dare let that stuff in. You wouldn't let the rock bands into the church. You'd throw me out, and rightly so. And if not, we should throw you out, amen? Amen. That's big stuff. That's a big, big no-no. You would not let a wicked lifestyle that exalted itself against God into your home in its physical form and appearance. Why? That's the gates. That's the big stuff. Well, we see some gates that need to be closed. So just practically, if you want some spiritual protection, you've got to keep the gates closed. You've got to keep them closed. And then you see in verse 3 that Nehemiah says, While they stand by, let them shut the doors. You say, so what, preacher? Well, you see that? You close the gates, and then you shut the doors. Some gates have to be closed. Some doors need to be shut. See, the gates keep out the big things. The gates are like the garage door if you don't drive through it. Amen? Let the car in, but you can't drive the car through the door. Well, you could. It just won't look good. I'm just saying that on a practical application this morning, the door is being shut. That's, that's just a thing of small things. 
you got to shut the doors next. Not only shut the gates, keep the big things out, but then you got to shut the doors. Nehemiah says, shut the doors. That takes care of the seemingly small stuff. Now listen, you will not be able, uh, Sister Christie will not be able to sleep in her bed tonight if Brother Andy leaves all the doors open in the house. She ain't going to do it. Not only, I know he's got wood, but he does not have enough wood to keep that house warm with all the doors and windows open. And she will not let him do that. I know that for a fact. But how many Christians don't get any spiritual rest because they've got these spiritual doors and windows open all through their spiritual house? At all hours of the day, with all kinds of access, letting things in all the time. You see, the picture is kind of fitting. You could not go to sleep in your house if you're like, Kiana, kick that front door open and we'll be all right. Sister Anne would be like, uh-uh. But yet in our Christian life, spiritual doors are left open all the time. Amen. All the time. They're, why? Well, you know, preacher, just small. It, it's just a small door. It's just the doggy door. It's just the kitty door. Christians often have a difficult time of getting any spiritual rest because all over the place, they've left the doors wide open. Matter of fact, this world has made it so easy for us to minimize the windows. Can I just use up-to-date technology? Isn't that what you do on your phone or screen? You minimize the window, but it's still open, isn't it? means you still have access to what's behind that window. I'm saying some gates need to be shut in your Christian life to keep out the big things. That's a no-brainer, preacher. Okay, but a lot of doors and windows also need to be shut. You've got to learn to shut the door. Old colored people would say this, shut the door, keep out the devil. They're pretty smart. I don't think we're too smart in 2020. You got to learn to shut some doors, Christian. Why? You can't handle it. You can't handle the spiritual coldness. I know you think you're tough, but you're not. You cannot handle what you think you can handle. Some of you need to learn to shut the doors of the television, shut the doors of social media and your live streaming and events. You can't handle it. You are a restless spiritual wreck. You know why? Too many doors open. You got to shut it. Always leaving the door open for some devil to step in and mess with you, mess with your, mess with your home, mess with your mind, steal your joy. Why? Doors are open. You got to learn to shut the doors. Some Christians, they sit up till 1, 2, 3 in the morning in front of that screen, in front of those images, and they're programming you to simply be a spiritual wreck. You know what David said? He said in Psalm 127 2, I'll read it. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Why won't you get some sleep, Christian? Well, you don't understand. I know. Nobody understands. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Gloom, despair, and agony. Why don't you just get some sleep? I can't. Okay, invest in melatonin. 
eat a big meal before you go to bed. Oh, that's, that's unhealthy. And your binge watching of Netflix ain't? Right. <laughs> eat a stinking bucket of chicken and read the Bible. Go to bed. Some need to learn to shut the doors of communication. David said in Psalm 141.3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Christians all over never shut the doors of their own lips. I never understood why someone would make themselves accessible 24-7. Let me give you some help here today. Shut the stinking doors. Even the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.7, There's a time to speak and a time to keep silent. Preacher, they need me. No. No, you'll be all right. Shut the door. You shouldn't be that accessible to anybody. Why would you make your job more accessible than your family? Why would you make your family more accessible than Jesus Christ? What happens with that situation is when you're always leaving all the doors open so everyone can always access you, whether it's this messenger, that messenger, this venue, or that venue, well, then all the wrong doors end up staying open and all the right doors remain shut. I'm not talking about your responsibility, but if your responsibility pervades itself to the fact that you can no longer be who God chose you to be, then maybe you're in the wrong field. You don't understand, preacher. Okay, probably don't. He does, though. You got to learn to shut the doors. You got to learn to shut the doors. See, the doors keep out the small things. The doors keep out the little things. I was thinking, that's a good thing. You know what I'm not afraid of in the woods? I'm really not too much afraid of that. Now, I've been hit with this. Bean's been hit with a few of these. In the head. Maybe a little bit bigger. But I'm not too afraid of that. I know it could hurt you. I'm not too afraid of that. But you know what I'm afraid of in the woods? Me and the boys, we call them ankle busters. This is what I'm afraid of. These scare the fire out of me. You say, well, it's not even a pound. You're right. But when the tip of my MS-261 hits this at 9,500 RPMs a minute, it makes this thing a bullet. And back when we, me and the boys first started harvesting firewood, we were out in the field over here off of Cook Road there. And I hit one of these little ankle busters with the tip of that saw, and it went right into the side of my shin, and it's still dead. That thing that turned black, purple, it looked like Skittles had exploded inside my legs. You say, what happened? I, it's still dead. It hurt. That thing swelled up like a watermelon on my shin. Dangerous. Just a little thing, ain't it? True story, ain't it, boys? These things scare the fire. You know, here's another. <clears throat> this is not a lesson in the woods. There's a lesson me and the boys learn. When you see that in the ground, you know what you never do? You never kick it. <laughs> Why? Because that's one that Chuck forgot to flush cut. <laughs> and you're going to break your toe. You see what I mean? Just tiny, ain't it? Just tiny, but that could mean it's a stump. You're going to break your foot. <laughs> Oh, you hop around for the next whatever. Dangerous little things. You know what old Zechariah 4.10, that old prophet said? You know he said? Who hath despised the day of small things? You know what uh, um, Solomon said in Song of Solomon 2.15? 
He said it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. We're good at keeping the gate shut, aren't we? Preacher, over my dead body, they not come into my home, and I'm standing for Jesus Christ. Thank God you are. But you'll let a bunch of these little things in your house, and these things will rule the day. Why? Doors and windows stay open when they should be shut. I'm just saying, if you want spiritual protection, not only do you and I have to take heed how we're going to build on a Christian life, but we've got to learn to shut them doors. We've got to learn to shut them windows. That ain't good for us. And there's a bunch of doors and windows that ain't no good for us. Amen. When the doors stay open, you know what they do? They leave us vulnerable to attack. You know, that little text, that little post, that little tweet about somebody, just a little thing, you know. A little bit of anger towards your wife or your husband. That little bit of attitude towards your parents. I'll say it again. That little bit of attitude towards your parents or your grandparents that leads to absolute anarchy and rebellion. It just started out a little attitude. Who they think they are. I think they're your parents. Stupid. I think they've been around a lot longer than you have. You give them time as a... As the old man here says, the older I got, the, older, the smarter the old man got. Amen. That little attitude is what leads to rebellion. Can I say this morning that that small amount of bitterness towards another brother in the church turns into an eventually unconquerable enemy? That little bit of envy towards someone that you don't think should have been recognized? Or that little bit of you fill in the blank or whatever is tripping your trigger? You've got to shut the doors. Not only shut the doors, but look at verse 3. We've got to move on. Verse 3 says, but let them shut the doors and what? Bar them. Isn't that crazy? You see, when you shut the doors, boy, isn't that a great start? That's victory right there. Shut the door. Amen. Run around the house. Amen. Do an Indian dance. Sorry, Brother Andy. Whatever, you know. Holler. Squall. Ball. Got the victory. But now you know, you know what you've got to do now? you got to bar the door. Don't just shut it, bar it. What does that mean? Lock that thing. Go a step further. Shut the door and lock it. Locking the doors or barring the doors means that you go an extra step in the process. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. trying to help you practically this morning with your Christian life. Some things that you need to do personally with the Lord's help to ensure spiritual protection. See, a lot of times in the Christian life, if you would just, can I just say it like this before I break my foot on this large log? You need some protection. You need to protect yourself. You can't always say, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it yourself. Amen. You got to shut the gate. You got to shut the door. You got to shut the window. You got to take the necessary steps and make the provisions for safety. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 5. 10, 5. Paul tells us, he says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself in the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You said bringing into captivity. You know what that is? You shutting the door on it. What a blessing. Bringing into captivity. But we're not done yet. Now go to verse 6. Verse 6 says, and having in a readiness to what? Revenge. Oh, 
Oh no, vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. No, you as a Christian need to revenge your own disobedience. That's barring the door. That's locking the door. That's shutting the door and going a step farther and going after it. That's going back and getting back some ground that you've lost. That's shutting the door and then barring it to make sure not only the devil can't get in, the enemy can't get in, but you can't open it either. Amen? Amen. That's what I want you to see this morning. Shut the door and bar it. Now listen, if I knew... This is, this is uh, what do you call this, rhetorical or... Uh, just supposing here, if I knew that I had a natural tendency to visit the local casino, which I don't, but let's say I had this natural tendency, I was going to say to see Brother Andy, (laughs) but I don't, and let's just say that every day after work, when I drive by that casino, I'm tempted to go in there and throw my money away. You know, I would be shutting the door the moment I stopped going into that casino, but I would be barring the door when I chose another way home. I'm just saying, look, man, you got to shut the gates, you got to shut the doors, and then you got to bar the doors. you got to make sure you're not going by it, you're not getting tempted. You say, what does that even mean? All right, so if if your door is a digital media issue, then you know what you do? You not only knock it off, but then you remove the subscription. Knock it off, remove the subscription, now revenge it. Delete the app. (laughs) Oh, but don't forget to deactivate the account first so you can't go in in a week when you're ready for more. You want to revenge it? Or do you want just a temporary peace treaty with the devil? If the doors you need to shore up are digital, then locking them would be deactivating your accounts. And unsubscribing, unsubscribing to your dirty habits, your dirty subscriptions. Shutting the doors is not allowing it. Barring the doors is cutting off the capability of re-entry. This morning, to build and protect your spiritual house, number one, you got to shut some gates. Some gates need closing. Some doors need shutting. Some doors need barring. And how about this? Lastly, some watches need to be appointed. Some watches need to be appointed. That's verse 3. Look what he says. And appoint what? Watches. Now, the watches has to do with your prayer life and being on guard. And we learn about that in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to read three verses here, 38, 40, and 41. Matthew 26, 38, Jesus says to his disciples, Tear ye here and watch with me. He's in the garden. He's getting ready to go to uh, Calvary. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Tear ye here and watch with me. Verse 40, he comes back and he finds that they're all asleep. You know what your trouble with your prayer life is? If you do it before you go to bed, you fall asleep. If you do it first thing in the morning, you fall asleep. And Amen. Oh, no, preacher. Okay, fine. You're the exception. Everybody else falls asleep. Matthew 26, 40. Jesus says, could you not watch with me what? One hour. Why? They fell asleep. Why? They just come from the Last Supper. Too much food on their belly. Verse 41, Jesus says to his disciples, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. You see that? That appointing watches, spiritually speaking, has to do with your personal prayer life and how serious you are about getting a hold of God and being on guard in the Christian life. Every Christian for his own spiritual protection needs to be watching regularly in prayer. You see, we're not getting away from this thing, are we? It's right there. 
We're not getting away from it. Now look, these watches are appointed in the text. Verse 3 says to appoint, appoint watches. Now we've been preaching on prayer for 60 days. 60 days. Uh, I've been hitting it since Nehemiah chapter 1. Brother Charlie taught on prayer while I was gone and gave you some really solid stuff. Brother Hamilton came right in last week and hammered the thing on prayer. You know what? I didn't even say nothing to him about prayer. You think the Lord's got something for us? Amen. Ah, just a quinky-dink preacher. Oh, no. The Lord is trying to tell us something here in 2020 that it's not a political issue. It's not a growth issue. It's a prayer issue. It's a prayer issue. I'll say it one more time. It is a prayer issue. Okay, when do you watch and pray? Preacher, whenever I can. You know how busy I am. That's why you don't do it. When do you watch and pray? Is it scheduled? Remember, the text says to what? Appoint watches. They made appointments. Let me ask you this. Does it cost you anything to pray? I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm not trying to be cynical. But does it cost you anything to pray? Does, let me ask you this question. Step out of preaching. Does it cost you anything to go to work? Well, yeah. Cost you at least eight hours a day. And I'm not saying you need to pray for it. But doesn't it cost you a certain type of clothing? Doesn't it cost you a certain amount of time? And then because of what you put into it, I know you wish you had more, but don't you reap a certain benefit from what you do for your job? Prayer works the same way. Many times you'll get out of it exactly what you put into it. Maybe that accounts why we don't see much happen from our prayer life. Why? It's not appointed. We haven't made the appointment to pray. We haven't scheduled it. Wouldn't it be safe to say that we should probably be able to set our watch at these watches? Appoint the watches. Well, preacher, individual, soul, liberty of the Christian, you ain't going to tell me when to pray. Yeah, but everyone else tells you what to do every time. You're like, oh, sure, no problem. Yeah. Right? You just, Oh, yeah, okay. Dennis tells you when to be there. The doctor tells you when to be there. The work tells you when. You ain't going to tell me when to pray. Okay. Appoint the watches. Appoint the watches. These watches are appointed. You should be able to set your watch to these watches. All I'm saying this morning is this. I'm trying to get you to think for a second. The reason you don't pray as much as you would like to, don't you say, I, I don't pray as much as I or should, right? The reason you don't is because you don't schedule it. Do you go to work? Oh, yeah, preacher, I go to work. Then put the schedule of prayer in there, too, and you might pray a little bit more. Appoint the watches. I'm talking about spiritual protection this morning. In 2020, it's a dangerous world. I need spiritual protection. You need spiritual protection. And I'm telling you, Christian, you need to start learning to appoint the watches of your prayer life. These watches are appointed, number one. I want you to see these watches. They're personal, number two. Verse three says, every one in his watch. You see, that's personal. Verse three says, every one in his watch. This means your personal prayer life, your personal watch. Guess what? It's your responsibility, isn't it? 
It's not the preacher's responsibility to make sure you pray. It is not your wife's responsibility that you pray. It is not your husband's responsibility. It's nobody's responsibility to appoint the watches but you. It's got to come back to you. If your husband is telling you when to pray, we'll pray for him. Say, why? Because he's going to need recovery from ER. (laughs) Amen. That's funny. But it's personal. No one should have to remind you to pray. And when it's time to pray, can I go a step further? We know who the subject of prayer should be. But when it comes to prayer, it's personal and that you must deal with yourself first. You can't just go to prayer to deal with everybody else. It's personal. Everyone in the Bible says, his watch. You've got to deal with you. You've got to deal with your sin. You've got to deal with your sorry attitude. You've got to deal with your sorry living. You've got to deal with you first. Why? It's personal. Everyone in his watch. It's an appointed place. It's a personal place. They need to be appointed. They need to be personal. I want you to see this finally. They need to be prioritized. Verse 3 says, Everyone to be over against his house. As I look at this thing on the appointed watches, I have to ask again when it comes to prayer, do you have an appointed time this morning? I'm not trying to beat you up, trying to stimulate your mind this morning. Do you have an appointed time? Do you have an appointed place? Oh, preacher, it's a zoo at my house. Yeah. (laughs) I know what a zoo is like. Don't feed the animals, right? But it might cost you a little bit to fix your schedule so you can have that quiet time to pray. You're going to have to learn to appoint the watches. While a multitude of Christians lately have simply been guilty of being wise in their own conceits and crying out to God for Trump to win, the real question to be asked in prayer is, have I made it personal? Have I made the appointment, the place, and the priority, have I made it personal? When was the last time you went to prayer and just... You went to prayer because you wanted to be right in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Not with a gimme list six miles long. Yes, he knows what you need. Yes, he knows you need help. Yes, he knows you need all that and all the above. When was the last time you went to the the appointed time, the appointed place, and said, Lord, I'm here. I love you. I'm thankful that you died for my sins. I plead that precious blood, and I just want to be here by you. You say, well, that ain't me. Well, maybe you need to get with it. Have I made it personal? Am I right before a holy God or am I just spouting off a gimme list of what I want, how I want, where I want? If I don't get it, I'm going to quit praying. Finally, we see the priority of these watches. Verse 3 says, everyone against his own house. Can I just remind you what you already know this morning? Your priority is your house. Your priority is your house. The Bible says in verse 3, everyone against his own house. A quick reminder this morning, you should be able to tell that your priority is not what is going on in the world today. Your priority is not this nation. We're talking about prayer. You're not Paul Revere. You're not George Washington. You're not Patrick Henry. You're a blood-bought child of God that needs fellowship with Jesus Christ. 
Your priority is not this state, not this county, but your priority is your own house. You make it personal first. And then you set the watch over against your own house. Your house, your spouse, your kids, your brethren, not everything else. Not abortion, not civil rights, not constitutional rights, not taxation without representation. Everyone against his own house. The reason we're a mess and we leave ourselves wide open is because we don't have things prioritized when it comes to appointing the watches. Christian, look at verse 4. Now the city was large and great. We're coming in for a landing. But the people were few therein and the houses were not yet Bill, you see such a great work's been done here. The walls are up, the gates are up, the doors are up. And I was like, look, you got to shut them. Great looking walls, great looking gates, great looking doors. Shut the doors, shut the gates, and only open them at a specific time when you have to go through them. But notice the houses aren't built. The Holy Spirit's been showing us the necessity to take heed how we build there upon the Lord's building. And not only do we need to take heed how we build but we must avail ourselves to the proper spiritual protection that is available to us. You say, how? Keeping the gates closed to big things, keeping the doors closed to small things, and barring and locking the doors so that neither the enemy or you can reopen them, and then appointing the watches. That means, you know what? I guess, I guess after 60 days of the Holy Spirit keep kicking me in the shins, I should probably get serious about my prayer life. You know when you're going to lose weight? I say that because I always have to. You're going to lose weight when you get sick and tired of not being able to fit in your clothes. You know when you're going to stop smoking? When you're tired of having yellow fingers that make you look like a golfer. Well, and then stinking. You know when you're going to quit drinking? When the thing finally begins to destroy you and destroy your home, destroy your family, you begin to lose everything you ever had. You know when you're going to start praying? When you get tired of not being spiritually protected and have all the storms of life continually beat you to a pulp, then maybe you get mad about that thing. Maybe you'll start praying more.